0: Uh, today, we are uh, continuing our series through the book of Acts. In the fall, we started this series, and we got about halfway through, and then we paused. We had some guest speakers, and then it was Christmas. And so we're going to pick it up again today, and for the next five weeks, we are going to finish our series through the book of Acts. Now, if you remember, uh, this series, we're not going through it, you know, by verse at a time or chapter at a time. We're going through this series by location at a time. And so we've looked at already uh, Judea, we looked at Samaria, Syria, Cyprus and Galatia, and Jerusalem. And today we're starting things back off with Macedonia. And so this location, it stretches from Acts 1536 to 1714. And in this chunk uh, is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. In 1536, uh, we start things right off, and Paul and Barnabas are talking to each other, and Paul says, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, we're not exactly sure how long it's been since they've been to these churches, but it can be anywhere from one to three years since they visited some of these places, and Paul is like, hey, you know, let's see how they're doing. Let's see how things are. Let's encourage them in the word. And, And... You know, from his first trip around Asia Minor, they they wanted to go back to that area. And if you recall, when Paul and Barnabas first went on this journey, they brought along a man named John, also called Mark. But he didn't stay with them very long. He left after a little bit and went back to Jerusalem. And because of that, Barnabas, you know, wants to bring John or Mark along with them again on this journey. And they come into dispute and they don't, Paul does not want to bring him along, because he wasn't reliable the first time, and it says in verses uh, 39 and 40, it says, they had such sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took John, called Mark, and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. They had such a sharp disagreement that they decided it was better to just not journey together, and just go their separate ways. I don't know if you've ever had such a sharp dispute with someone where it was just better to part ways. Or maybe you're discussing you know, which way's quicker to get from point A to point B. Maybe it's with the spouse when you're driving. You know, which way's quicker, this way. No, 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 this way's quicker. And you come to that dispute. I know many times uh, growing up as a kid, I grew up in the Lower Mainland in BC, living in the city there, and from our house, it was, you know, maybe a 15, 20-minute walk to the closest 7-Eleven. And there was also, like, a pizza shop there and a VHS rental. Uh, and we would regularly, in the summertime, walk down, as, you know, me and my two siblings. And sometimes my cousins from a few blocks over would join us. They would come over to our house. And there was one instance where we were at our, at our house and there was, you know, the five of us, and we were in dispute. You know, the uh, two of us, my brother and one cousin, dis- we were adamant that heading up our hill and then over and traversing through all the streets was quicker than going down and over. And we were like back and forth. I don't know how long we were disputing this for. But we were, we were at a sharp disagreement. And so we said, okay, well, you guys go that way and we'll go this way. But everybody has to walk their normal pace. No, there's no running, no, like, cutting through people's yards. This is, we have to see which way's quicker. And I just remember I went with my sister and one of our cousins, and my brother went the other way with the other cousin. And I just remember heading down our hill and looking back as my brother and our cousin turned the corner and then took off running. And so we took off running down as well, and we weren't going to let them beat us. We had this disagreement. We had to figure out which way was quicker. And just before we got to 7-Eleven to get our Slurpees for the day, uh, there was this big intersection, and I remember we were just on opposite corners, waiting for the traffic lights to see who could get there quicker, and there may or may not have been some jaywalking, but it's fine. Uh, If my mom's watching, just disregard that. Uh, But we had this disagreement in our company, and we decided to, you know, to figure it out on our own. I think it ended up taking us the same amount of time, but... That's neither here nor there. We'll always say that, you know, my way was quicker, right? But Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp dispute that they split company. They weren't necessarily seeing who could get to the end fastest. They they didn't want to see each other anymore. They were just in that dispute that they had to take just different uh, trips altogether. And I'm sure maybe you have instances of friendships or relationships that (laughs) ended and you just went, Good riddance. That's, that's it. We're, I'm going this way, you can go that way. But we see that, you know, even our disputes is nothing new. There has always been disputes that have caused rifts in friendships and have caused, you know, that split. But what's interesting here is that it didn't hinder their mission call. It might have changed their plans. Barnabas sailed off for Cyprus instead. But Paul still took that second trip. and He wanted to go back through Asia Minor. We're going to read about what actually happened. And so they, they, they parted company. It's not like one of them stayed home and said, no, what? I'm just not going now. That's it. You don't want to go with me? That's fine. We're just, I'm just going to stay. But they ended up, they didn't affect their mission call here. And it actually set the, tra- the trajectory for Paul and Silas and all his companions Uh, for later on, as we're going to read here in a moment. But we pick up the story again in chapter 16, verse 6 to 10. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of uh, Phygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, which is where Paul wanted to go. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. It's it's interesting the the change of words there, the context. Uh, In verse 10, all of a sudden, it talks about we and us. Now, if you remember, the book of Acts is written by Luke. And so here in Troas, Luke actually joins Paul and Silas on their journey. But what's also interesting is, is how the Spirit prevented them to go in one direction. But also how they listened to that, that Spirit calling. And Paul wanted to go into Asia Minor to see those first group of churches that he you know, set up before. But clearly God had other plans in store for them. When Paul parted company with Barnabas, you know, everything really changed. Yet we see again that God was clearly pointing Paul and Silas to this region of Macedonia, and we're going to find out why in just a minute here. So Paul and Silas, and it says in companions, headed to Macedonia. They stayed mostly, once they got to that region, they stayed mostly in the city of Philippi, which was a Roman city, and they were there for quite some time. It doesn't really tell us an amount, but we know that it was for a while. This chunk of Scripture today, I was having a hard time with it, this region of Macedonia, 1536 through to 1714, because it wasn't necessarily the most thrilling chunk of Scripture. You know, they're, they're here, and they preach the Gospel, and then they go here, and they preach the Gospel, and they go here, and they preach the Gospel. And I was having a hard time with this. But I think the highlight of this location, for me at least, is why Paul and Silas end up in prison. For, it's just for a night. But that is where, really, this whole story focuses, is their time in prison. But I really enjoy th- why they're thrown in prison. Uh, in s- chapter 16, verses 16 to 23, we read of a slave woman who had an evil spirit of fortune-telling, and she earned money for her owners by predicting the future, or whatever, we're not quite sure exactly what that meant or what that all entailed. But she had a spirit of fortune-telling, and in verse 17 it says that she followed Paul and the rest of us, that would have been Silas, they also picked up Timothy and Luke, and she was shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul was so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. This got them into a lot of trouble. This is what got them thrown into prison because they were taking away that spirit of fortune telling which earned her owner's income. So her owners dragged Paul and Silas into the courtyard or into the marketplace in front of the officials who brought them before the magistrates who were like the Jewish council and they order them to be beaten with rods, to be flogged, which is to be like stripped and whipped, and then to be thrown into prison. There was no trial, there was no discussion. That's what happened. But that verse 17 there, I find, or 17, 18, I find it a little interesting. Because it's out of that annoyance and frustration that Paul does a miracle. She wasn't asking for it, but this inspiration, this impure spirit was driven out. I think it's almost a little bit funny. Out of that frustration, after many days of this woman speaking a truth over them, these are men of the Most High God, and they're telling you how to be saved. But, and she was, kept this up and said, for many days. Now I can just imagine them, you know, at the end of the day going home or finding a place to sleep and just finally some quiet. I wake up in the morning, They go out again, and here's this woman. Once again, these are the men of the Most High God. They're telling you how to be saved, and just, maybe he didn't have his coffee that morning, just out of annoyance, right? Just be gone, you know, and just cast that spirit out. But I was reading up this, I'm like, why Why would Paul do this? What really caused him out of that annoyance? Because what the slave girl was saying, that was true, although her source of knowledge was an evil spirit. Why would that evil spirit announce truth about Paul? Why would that annoy him so much? And I think it's as simple as that, you know, if Paul accepted the demon's words, he would appear to be linking the gospel truth to evil, uh, to evil, essentially, to these evil acts. And it would show everyone around them that he'd be linking the gospel and this evil spirit together. And that would damage the message of Christ, because truth and evil just don't mix. But that, may be not, that might not be actually the craziest part of this whole story, because they're in prison after being beaten and whipped, bleeding. They're in prison, and it says in the middle of the night, verse 1625, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. I just want to pause there for a quick second. They were not in a good place. They were broken and beat down. Yet Here we find them praying and singing. They were bruised, maybe broken bones, whipped. But they're not moaning in pain. They're not yelling at the guards or those who put them there. They are praying and singing songs. As I was reading up on this, it also told me that they were bound in stocks, which is um, it's kind of like those medieval torture or arrest devices where you put your head and arms through boards and it clamps down, except it was around your ankles and your wrists together. And so they would clamp your ankles and wrists around boards and place you in a cell. And that was reserved for the most violent offenders so that they could keep them You know, from getting out and from hurting themselves or hurting anyone else. And Paul and Silas, these were peaceful men committing no crime, no trial, no questions, thrown into prison and put into this place and into these stocks that were designed for absolute security for the most dangerous prisoners. And here we find them praying and singing. And we pick it up again, verse 26. Let's continue. So suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of prison of the, of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "Don't harm yourself! We are all here." Paul and Silas were praying, singing, and it says that the prisoners just listened. And as they were worshiping God in the middle of the night, a violent earthquake broke the cells open and broke their chains off. Yet they didn't run away. They didn't flee. They stayed there. And out of that terror that all the prisoners had left, This jailer drew his sword to kill himself because it would be better to do that than to be tortured and eventually beheaded by the Roman guard if he let prisoners go like that. If that actually happened, that's he was in charge of all these prisoners. He would have been tortured and beheaded for that. And here we find in yet another prison in the book of Acts, God's power displayed. If you remember, Peter was in prison. And an earth, and the spirit came and took him and opened the gates, and he walked right past all the guards. And here again, God's power displayed, but they weren't called to flee. They weren't called to run out of there. They were called to minister to the guard. And we read on in verses 29, the jailer rushes in and he falls trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he asks, what it takes to be saved? And Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. The story keeps going, and, and the jailer takes Paul and Silas into his house. And his whole household hears the gospel message. His whole household believes and is saved. And they are all baptized before morning light. And in the morning, these this council members, these magistrates, decide to let Paul and Silas go. And when they do that, they find out that they're Roman citizens, and that they have committed a serious crime, the magistrates. Because as Roman citizens, it was illegal for them to be whipped, and it was illegal for them to have no trial, both of which happened to them. And so quickly, they want to put this under the, you know, sweep this under the rug and get them out of here, get them out of the city. And so they escort them personally out of the prison, and Paul and Silas then head to to Lydia's house who was another believer and then from there they, they leave the city and they go on. And that's the last we heard here of this, this Roman guard, this jailer, who we have no name for. But even in the midst of being beaten and broken, bound like violent offenders, they did not stop worshiping God. They continued to praise Him even in the midst of their physical chains. How often do we worship God in the midst of our trials? I think sometimes in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our injustices, in the midst of our heartache, we are quick to blame God for those things. And we are quick to ask Him for a way out. Maybe you've been there and you've asked, God, why are you doing this? Or why am I in such pain? Or why have you done this to me? What are you doing In this situation, God is not to blame for the evil in the world. And I think we get it backwards sometimes. When bad things happen, we're quick to say these things. We're quick to blame God. Why would God let that happen? But we need to remember that we are at war with the evil around us and the evil in this world. And the devil will do everything it can do to try and destroy the gospel. And while, yes, bad things happen, it's not our focus. Our focus should always be to praise and worship God and pray to Him even when it's hard. I mean, even let's look at Job in the Old Testament. Right? He was tempted, he was thrown down, he was, you know, his family was killed, his friends around him were telling him that he must have sinned for all these things to happen. It's his fault. This is, well, that's why God's doing these things to him. But even in his sorrow, he was going to God. He was bringing it to God. He doesn't blame God for what's happening. He goes there to God and asks for comfort. And he has these questions, why, why is this happening? But he's not blaming God in that. And I think that is the, the difference. That's the big point there, is that he's not blaming God, but he's bringing his sorrow, his anguish to God. There might be times when we want to draw the sword because we think it's the only way out. But we have yet to experience the joy and the freedom that comes from Jesus. Maybe you're even here today wondering what it takes to be saved. Maybe you're finding yourself trembling on your knees wondering what's next. Wondering what's in store for you or what God wants to do next in your life. And it all starts with that statement that Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Because in verse 34, it says that the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. When we recognize Jesus as Lord and trust in Him with our, eternal, or with our, our entire life, salvation is assured to us. And with that salvation... We will be filled with joy, just as the jailer and his entire family was filled. Now, I was racking my brain this week, trying to figure out this main point of this whole passage here. Of this whole story, as they're just going from place to place. And I think that's it. That there is joy that comes from Jesus. That comes only from being saved by Jesus. Because by him, by the Spirit's power, he breaks those chains. Physical, like we're seeing here, but also emotional and spiritual. And he releases us from sin and shame. There is joy to be found in the saving faith of Jesus. There is joy to be found when we live for him each and every day. There is joy to be found even in the midst of those prison walls. Even in the midst of injustices. There's joy that transcends all understanding because it comes from the one who transcends it all. Maybe you're like those prisoners on the sidelines today just listening. Maybe you're the jailer today asking what it takes to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be set free. But if you're here today already, already as a follower of God, be encouraged and strengthened in your faith that even in the midst of adversity, of heartache, of sorrow, those valleys, there's joy and freedom to be found. And when you find that joy and freedom, praise God and worship Him because it comes only from Him. You might be beaten or broke down. It might have been a hard week. Maybe you're getting over a sickness like myself. God's power is there and it's ready to be displayed. But that doesn't come without our participation. So even in the midst of whatever is going on, the highs and the lows, we need to worship God. We need to be continually praying and bringing it all before him. Because when we do, he will move. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I'm just coming to you today. We're coming to you today. Some of us on trembling knees. Some of us in our sickness. Some of us in our struggles. Some of us in joy on mountaintops praising you for what you've already done. God, we continue to pray that you will break every chain. God, we continue to pray that you will move. And God, my encouragement, my uh, takeaway from this passage here, from this location, is, is to always be praying and worshiping you. And that can be a really hard thing to do sometimes. When we're beaten and broke down, when we feel held captive by the sin and shame around us, God, I pray that your truths will continue to break through, that we will continue to pray that we will continue to worship and sing songs to you, knowing that you will move. God, because, God, you do move. So we pray for that today. I pray a blessing over all those that are here this morning, and watching online, God, that you will continue to move in our lives, that you will continue to heal the sick as you are already doing, that you will continue to to mend those broken relationships. Maybe we're there in, in that split right now, in that rift sending one person one way and one person another. But God, we know that you can mend those things. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will move today, in this week, and that we will continue to participate in that. Lord Jesus, use us this week as your instruments to continue to spread your gospel as we see you move in our town, in our county, everywhere we go, God. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you today. In your great and holy name, amen, amen.